welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, March 30th, 2014. Today's message is the Jesus Prayer by Dr. Lyle Schrag, based on Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. I'm going to ask you to join me with a word of prayer. And gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we do so, realizing that um, in full confession, uh, we come out of lives, Lord, where our souls have been creased throughout this week. And here, Lord, you, 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 you set us straight, you, you cleanse us, you purify us, you, you press us. You remind us once again that there is a wonderful grace to be found in you, that there is truth and that there is life. And, and so, Lord, to you we come and to you, Lord, we lift up our voice and to you, Lord, we open our lives and to you, Lord, we are obedient in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. So speak to us, I pray. And then, Lord, hear to us, hear us as we pray. Those very simple words have mercy upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, this morning, I'd like you to return with me to the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles there, Luke chapter 18. And as you do, let me just refresh our memory together. The reason I actually chose... Uh, to go to this uh, passage uh, for the season of Lent had everything to do with the uh, personal interactions that we see that people are having with Jesus. And they're very colorful and they're memorable and and they're very diverse. Uh, The interactions that Jesus has with people begins with with little children and then goes to a rich young ruler. And then today, as we turn to verse 35, we go to the whole other end of the human spectrum. Listen as we heard it read this morning. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, and he was begging. Well, we, we've just made a great leap from last week, where we were looking in, in, at, at, at a, a rich young ruler, to uh, verse, in, in verse 18, to now we find ourselves confronted with a poor and blind beggar in verse 35. Just consider the distance between these two. You have the rich young ruler who's respected, he's articulate, he's seemingly blessed, and then now we find ourselves with a blind beggar, someone who rules no one. He owns nothing, and he bears absolutely no sign of blessing in his life. And yet the fact is, as different as they may appear on the surface, they are more alike than they seem. For both of them are drawn to Jesus Christ. And both of them receive his direct and very personal care. I find myself constantly fascinated by such moments. And I ask myself, what is it that draws people to Jesus Christ? Uh, but, But even more, what happens to people who come under his personal care? What is the dynamic at work in this relationship It's a question I ask myself, and and it may be a question you ask of yourself. What is it that drew you to Jesus Christ? And what what would draw you to Jesus? What would gravitate your attention in his direction? Even more, what would happen to you if you were to find yourself solo with him? I would suggest that the answer to those questions lies in the dynamic at work in this particular relationship. It is a principle that Jesus describes in one, in one word in verse 42. It is the word faith. Receive your sight, Jesus said. Your faith 
has made you well. Despite the many differences that you can count between the rich man and the blind beggar, the fact is that for both, meeting Jesus put faith on the line, something they would have to deal with. For the rich man, it would be something he would have to resolve over a period of time, and it would be years probably before he was able to finally resolve what faith would mean. But for the blind beggar, it was something that would yield a reward immediately. It would bring him sight, but it would also bring him life. It was something that was to be grasped and held with a treasure. And it's not just for these two, but there's an issue at stake for anyone who would ever encounter Christ. It's a warning I should give to you. How is it that people are drawn to Christ? What difference does it make? And what is the nature of faith? All of these are on the line as we look at the passage today. Now, I don't know if at the beginning here in Luke 18 that the beggar was aware of the fact that he was about to become a living model of faith and that his name would actually be written down in the pages of the Bible. But the fact is that he possessed all of the ingredients that were necessary so that when the moment came, uh, they would all then come together into a critical mass and then would be erupting into a cry that came out of his heart. So let's look at the ingredients of faith that bubbled up in his spirit, and let's look at them one at a time. As we do, uh, you might actually find the very same sort of ingredients stirring in your own soul. The first ingredient, well, let's look at Luke 18. The first thing is a matter of personal awareness. In verse 35, it says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they, they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Well, in looking at this passage, you don't have to be a psychologist to know what this man already knows about himself. He is keenly aware of his blindness. The perpetual darkness that was his, probably, quite possibly, from birth. It was a condition that had robbed him of all of life's freedoms and had left him a beggar. Faith, you see, begins with a clear sense of self-understanding and exposed to the utter weaknesses and the true realities of your life. In her wonderful little book, The Jesus Prayer, Frederica Matthews Greens, and I just love this book, she describes the danger of our age, and I'm sure you can be able to recognize it immediately, that we would insulate ourselves from our own reality. She writes this, We are helplessly entangled in sin and suffering, and only Jesus' touch can heal us. We cry out with the blind and the lame and the paralyzed of his day, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Now, God does not need us to remind him to be merciful. He is merciful all of the time, even when we don't ask. But unless we make a habit of asking for mercy we forget that we really do need it. For you see, she writes, ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility must every day tear down. I love that phrase. Ego builds a cardboard fortress in which many of us love to live. But it's a cardboard fortress ego has built, and humility must every day tear it down. 
For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not knowing that we are rich, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's what we read in Romans chap in Revelation chapter 3. We are pitiable, and God chooses to pity us. For the blind man, <laughs> there was no cardboard castle to live in. Every day was a living reminder that he was in a pitiable state. And maybe that's what gave him the advantage when it came to faith in meeting Jesus, as it led to the very next ingredient, an authentic and, I would add, a fundamental spirit of request. In verse 36 we see, Now he heard the crowds going by, and he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. No doubt by this time he had heard stories about this Jesus, that he was a healer of diseases, that he was a teacher of the Bible, that he was a star, that he was a celebrity. But notice, when he calls out for Jesus, he uses a very special and unique name. He says, Jesus, son of David. Only three times in the Gospel of Luke was that name used of Jesus, the son of David. And you might think it was used because of his family ties, but it was more than that. Son of David was a name that was specifically reserved for only one person, and that was the Messiah. It was a bold, prophetic title to be applied only to the Savior who would come, and the one who was prophesied throughout the Old Testament, <clears throat> the one who was known as Son of David. The one who with his coming would then make all things right. Son of David, that's the name that the beggar chooses to use and it reveals everything that he hopes to be true about Jesus when he comes by. Son of David, Messiah. And then he says, have mercy on me. Now I don't know if this <clears throat> blind man was a theologian. Uh, I, I suspect he was not. And I have no idea if he could cite any uh, verses from Isaiah or any of the other prophets that would back up his cry with the son of David name. All I know is that when given the chance that Jesus would come into the sound of his voice, he was not going to hold anything back. So when, his, when, when Jesus comes, his cry is made and it is full of hope. Jesus, he's saying, I am counting on you to be the Messiah. Jesus, I am counting on you as the Messiah to be the power of God. Jesus, son of David, Jesus, Messiah, Jesus, hear my cry. It was a cry from the heart, which was authentic, which was earnest, which was genuine, and which was sincere. That, that ingredient has got to be there. And then there's a third ingredient, and that is that there is passionate persistence to his cry. Back to Luke 18. He called out and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Hush up. But he shouted all the more. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. At first, you know, in the Greek it says he called out. And that's a very simple word in verse 38. It's a very simple Greek verb which means to raise your voice for attention. Teacher, teacher, teacher. You know, he called out. But when they tried to hush him, it says that he 
shouted out all the more. And some of you have it translated in your Bibles, he cried out even more, but the cry or the shout is in fact a completely different word in the Greek that just pumps up the volume of his voice. He cried out, and that word uh, in the Greek is, is defined as an instinctive shout of ungovernable emotion. It could be described as a primal scream. Son of David, have mercy on me. It's as if nothing could be held back. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the whole lifetime, you can see, of heartache is being poured into those words and then being amped up with the sound. A whole lifetime of groping in the darkness, a whole lifetime of blindness and pain, of being told to shut up and step aside, that he did not matter. He has one chance here now to meet Jesus, and he will not be denied. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And all of the ingredients of faith come into critical mass with an explosion of sound. And when Jesus comes near, Let not your heart be silent. It is a matter of faith. He cried out, and Jesus, well, he recognizes the sound of that voice as well as the words. And coming from you as much as from the blind beggar, it is a sound of prayer that he pays attention to, that is genuine and earnest, sincere, and is caring by the whole heart, a wholehearted prayer. Look at verse 40. It says, and Jesus stopped. The word literally means he stood. He just stood. The sound of this man's prayer brought Jesus to a halt, and Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. I love the way one poet puts this moment. He says, the heart's cry of one is in, in need, the heart's cry of one in need is far sweeter to Christ than the shallow alleluias of a crowd. The cry of one in need is far sweeter to the ears of Jesus Christ. What Jesus heard here was more than just a cry for attention. He heard prayer. A rich mixture of pain, desperation, and as, as well, hope. As primal as it gets, it is prayer. And I have to ask the question, are you in need? Do you possess hurts? Do you feel helplessness? Understand that your cry to Jesus is all that he really needs to hear. His heart is already turned to you. And when it says that he ordered the man to be brought, know this, he will clear the way, all of the obstacles, for you to make your way into his presence. And then, as is his practice, being solo with Jesus... It comes down to time for straight talk. Look at verse 41. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, replied the blind man. As I imagine this scene in my imagination, I cannot help but hear a little gasp from the crowd when he asks the question. With his order to bring the blind beggar to him, I imagine they all went silent. And then Jesus breaks the silence with a question that may appear to you to sound totally rude. What do you want me to do for you? Gasp. How insensitive. Isn't it obvious? Can't you see? He's blind and he's a beggar. That would be my reaction. 
But it was not that of the blind beggar. His answer is immediate, and notice the name change here. It's not Jesus, son of David. It is, Lord, I want to see. My guess is that he heard a profound gentleness in the question out of the lips of Jesus Christ and realized that while Jesus already knew his need, he wanted him, the blind man, to go ahead and give it a name, to own it. Because prayer does require honesty and plain words. Not the embroidery of spiritual language, but a simple primal scream that comes straight from the heart. When I consider the prayers that I've prayed and the, and the prayers that I've heard, I'm often struck by the fact that they are offered without much thought. That, in fact, they may appear to be words just sprinkled with a bit of piety. Well, I just really want to ask you, Lord, just really. <laughs> I don't want to bother you too much, Lord. I, I know you're busy. you got a lot on your place. So just this little bit, and I'll be out of your way. And just really, really forget everything else I said. This is what I really, really want to say. Pieties. But going solo with Jesus is a holy moment and becomes time for straight talk. And so Jesus cuts through the games and he goes right to the heart and he gets to business. What do you want? And the blind man says, I just really... No, he didn't say that. The blind man goes right to the point and says simply, Lord, I want to see. For Jesus to be of any help to him or to you or to me, we have got to be real. He is asking for it. So name it. He can deal with it. He can answer prayer that is honest. You need to be forgiven? Say so. Are you broken? Then say so. You need to be made whole? Are you lost? Then just say it. I need a new start. I need a new life. I need to see. The blind man made it very clear. I need to see. That's what I want. And then look at verse 42. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Can you imagine that? He was blind at the beginning of Jesus' sentence, but by the very last syllable, whew, sight. No adjustments, no fade in, no put your hand over the eye and read the chart on the wall. There was nothing of that. No fade in, just boom, sight. Were he to turn, he would then see the crowds for the very first time. For were he to lift his, his head, he would see the light of the sun, the palm trees, the hills of Judea. But the first thing that he saw instead was, in fact, Jesus. Oh, no wonder that having received his sight, Jesus being the first one he would see, he would be the one he would follow. And he would follow Jesus praising God all the way. The old preacher of an earlier century, Clarence McCartney, put it this way. For you and me too, that will be the greatest of all sights. 
when we awaken from the dream men call life, when we put off the image of the earth and break the bonds of time and mortality, when the scales of time and sense have fallen from our eyes and the garment of corruption has been put off, and when this mortality has been put on immortality and this corruption has put on incorruption, and when we awaken in the everlasting morning, that will be the sight that will stir us and hold us forever. We will see Jesus. And for that, we will praise God forever into eternity. Now put it that way, and you realize that this was not an isolated episode to be enjoyed simply by one man, but is an invitation then open from the pages of the Bible for everyone to take to heart, you and me, now. Notice the very last lines of the verse, verse 43. When all the people saw this, they too gave praise to God. They took this faith to heart. And throughout the ages, we take it to heart as well. Let me just ask a quick question here this morning. How many of you here are familiar with what is called the Jesus Prayer? Anybody? Raise your hand. Oh, that's too bad. You see, for centuries... The Jesus prayer has been an ancient practice of prayer from the days of the early church, and it's been rediscovered by many in this day. There's a documentary that is out there by Norris Chumley called The Mysteries of the Jesus Prayer, Experiencing the Presence of God, and it's a pilgrimage into the heart of ancient early church spirituality. One of my favorite authors I mentioned before, Frederica Matthews Greens, has written a book, The Jesus Prayer, It's entitled, The Ancient Desert Prayer That Tunes the Heart for God. The Jesus Prayer, the Jesus Prayer, what is it? Some might point here to Luke 18, where it appears twice. The Jesus Prayer is really quite simple. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. The Jesus Prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. The Jesus Prayer. It's quite simple and yet utterly profound. And much more than just the two verses in this simple chapter, it becomes our voice of prayer. You hear it in the book of Psalms, in in the 70th Psalm. O Lord, make haste to help me. You hear it in Matthew 15 from a desperate Canaanite mother. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. You hear it from the mouths of the lepers in Luke 17. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You hear it from the father of a son who was struck with epilepsy in Matthew 17. Lord, have mercy on my son. It is the prayer of Jesus put in his fullest form in the mouth of the tax collector earlier in Luke 18 and verse 13. God, be merciful to me, and then added a sinner. What is the Jesus prayer? It is the prayer that brings us to faith as we stand alone with Jesus and is the prayer that allows Jesus then to shape our lives to his will and for his purpose. I began this morning confessing my curiosity in knowing what is it that draws people to Jesus, even more what happens to people who come under his personal care, and the answer is as simple as that heartfelt prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of David, Son of Man, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there is forgiveness. 
And there is the working of God in the human soul. I love the way Frederica Matthews Green, as I mentioned, once again describes it. She says, this prayer is not designed to generate fancy, mystical experiences or soppy emotions. It works away steadily inside, gradually building a sure connection with the Lord. Where the Lord enters in, there is light. I can see many things that he has changed in me over the years, illuminating and dispelling reflexive lying thoughts and fears. And then she goes on to describe the use of this in her life of prayer. I don't want to open my emails, she writes. It brings mail from strangers all over the world, and though this is mostly a blessing, much of it is argumentative and exhausting. Lord, go before me. Give me love for those who write. So, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. While reading the Bible, a verse opens in a way that it never has before, and a beautiful substructure of meaning appears that brings tears to my eyes. In gratitude, I pray that my inconstant mind will retain that understanding. Lord, Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. In fact, let me just ask you, say that with me. Lord, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. The phone rings, she says, and it's a lonely person who likes to talk for a long, 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 long time. Feelings of dutiful compassion convict with more honest feelings of resentment. Lord, give me love for him, for I have none of my own. Lord, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. At coffee hour after lunch, after church, I, I look around the parish hall and I feel guilty. As a pastor's wife, I should be at the front line of compassion, but every face I see reminds me of my failure. I know how to exhibit superficial niceness, but of authentic love, I am at a loss. And how many people in this room do better than me? Lord, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you get the idea? with every thought, waking in the night, haunted by fears or doubts or questions, for the convicting moments of the day, there is a prayer that comes to the heart, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Your faith does have a voice. And it's your opening line with Jesus, and it becomes your constant refrain. So you might as well look at this passage, take it to heart, and become fluent in the prayer. Jesus made a promise. He said, Lo, I am with you always. He said, Even unto the end of the age. And with that promise at heart, we have a freedom to pray. I am blind, and I want to see. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I am at a loss, and I am lost. So, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I am overwhelmed, and I do not know what to do, to be, or to say. So, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And as I close, I'd invite you, in your heart, knowing that Jesus is here and in this place, with that very same question, what do you want him to do for you. You have it in you, the words that he is longing to hear.
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Would you pray with me? Lord, we confess before you that our lives have been fractured and and in so many ways broken and and we stumble over those breaks so many times throughout the day realizing that we are in need uh, they 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 come to us during the day, they haunt us even at night. And Lord, there are times we do not know what to do. But Lord, on the authority of your word, we know that were you to come near, you would forgive us and you would heal us. And out of your holiness, you would make us whole. And so Lord, even now, knowing that you are near, receive the prayer from our heart is as simple and as primal as it comes. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Lord, we thank you that you then, by your grace, touch us with your care. So Lord, make this not just a habit. Lord, make this a continual recurring cry of our heart. That even as we prepare for Easter now, Lord, our mouths might be rehearsed already to receive the wonderful gift out of the resurrection that we might look at you at each and every moment of our day and say it from the depth of our heart, knowing that, Lord, it is a prayer that brings life. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. We are sinners, saved by your grace. And for that we give you thanks. Jesus our Lord, amen.